Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Agency Nation Radio. With me, as always, is Marty Agatha. Marty, say hello. Howdy, gang. We are back. This is episode number 15, and uh, we have a really cool show today because... We're going to talk, uh, we're going to really dive into kind of the marketing side of what we do. I know sometimes we've been talking a lot about disruption and, and going into a lot of the things that impact our business and, and the future of the independent insurance agency channel. Um, but today we really want to dial into the marketing side uh, and we're going to get right into it. So, uh, you know, as we do on most, most shows, we kind of have two main you, usually we pick blog posts or articles or reports or, or something that we found out in the world as we go about it. And uh, we bring those in and share how uh, what we found impacts the insurance industry. So if, you, if, you're not, uh, if you're not familiar with the show and you're listening for the very first time, you can find past episodes at agencynation.com forward slash podcast. This is going to be episode number 15. Uh, but we have uh, plenty of episodes before that, 14 other episodes. And uh, we also are available on Stitcher and uh, iTunes and soon uh, the Google Play. When, when Google finally uh, provides podcasts through Google Play, will be available on the Google Play network as well. So uh, with that, let's get into our first resource that we found. And this is a blog post I came across, um, Forrester Research. And it's written by a guy by the name of Peter O'Neill, and it's titled B2B Marketing Professionals Prepare for 2016 by Considering These Predictions. And basically, Forrester Research um, has a, a full-blown report, and uh, this, was, this blog post just pulls out some of the high-level concepts. But there were three in particular that Marty and I thought were, were really relevant to the independent insurance industry. And Marty, I'm going to kick it off with this first prediction as funnel becomes life cycle, marketing will need to manage a new dynamic with sales. My major takeaway from this was that, uh, especially in our industry, right? Sales is king. Every you know, you're a producer. You know, you're the you're the you're you're the the peacock walking around the office, right? You're you're the one that brings in the sales. And and what what more and more often we're finding is that. Um, it really takes a strong relationship between marketing and sales because sales is becoming, it's becoming harder and harder for the traditional sales process and that individual person in terms of a producer to scale their activities and really do the things necessary to, to, to make the connections they need to make to draw in the business that traditionally they were able to bring in. And without a solid marketing team working closely with the sales, with the sales force, it's becoming more and more difficult to create those B2B sales opportunities. Uh, what, what was your takeaway from this prediction, Marty? Well, I, I guess the first thing that uh, I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about the new life cycle, right? So the new whole sales and marketing life cycle. So when you think about where we are with the new consumer behavior, we get an inkling in our mind that, you know, I don't know, it's getting to be winter up here, uh, Ryan, so maybe somebody's thinking about buying a new snowblower, all right? We'll just use that as a, as a stalking horse. So they think they want to they uh, buy a new snowblower. So the first thing they do is, is they're going to go out and they're going to start just sort of doing, doing high-level research because they may not even know the first thing about snowblowers, right? But what kind of features should I be looking for? Um, what are other people saying about snowblowers? You actually need one. What are they good for? 
what aren't you know what are the problems with owning a snowblower so as you go into that you start your research as you get into that uh, research cycle, you begin to see um, who the players are and you begin to narrow down your options. Pretty soon, you've narrowed your choices to one or two, and now you're doing hardcore research. You might be on the um, Toro or the Troy built pages um, looking specifically for information about the model XYZ123, right? Because you've made the determination that that's exactly the right size for you, depending on what your requirements are. Now, when you go into the actual sales location, whether that's your local big box store or it may be a, a retailer that specializes in that piece of equipment, um, you know, you may know actually more than the sales associate. And so because of that, the whole... Um, the requirements have changed for the sales professional. Once the sale is made, now the cycle continues. So, so in the past, the, the cycle ended at time of closed deal done. But now the cycle continues because what is happening in many instances is now I add my experience with the product out into the stream of consciousness. Because somebody, Ryan, may call me and say, hey, you know, Marty, I know that the winter comes a little earlier to uh, Minnesota than it does to upstate New York, but, you know, it's getting pretty close. I know you just bought a, I know you just bought a snowblower. Tell me a little bit about it. So, um, so that's the first thing. But, but to Ryan's point, um, because we have that need for, for all of that research material to be out there, um, it is very hard for an individual to be a utility infielder, right? Ryan, we can talk in, in the sports analogy now. Um, it is many, many, most people are specialists. The reason that that guy is the, the, the top producer in your agency is because, or gal, it is because she is um, very, very good at interpersonal relationships. She probably understands coverages. She has um, the ability, she's got a relationship with an underwriter, so she's getting uh, getting her stuff to the top of the pile at the, the carrier. So, But that person may not be the right person to put the content together for that initial phases of the cycle or even more importantly, after the fact, after the sale has been made, you know, that's when we switch over to service, right, traditionally. But there may be electronic, digital, social interactions that take place between the agency and that customer, too. So where, where Ryan is making his point is that there needs to be a new coordination but more importantly, in many agencies, there this is a whole new function that has never existed before. And progressive agencies, those agencies that realize that the game is changing and that they need to move forward, this is something you need to focus on as we move into 2016 is what is that marketing role going to be for my agency? Not the traditional carrier marketing baloney that we all talk about. No, no, I'm talking about hardcore consumer, whether that's personal or commercial lines, marketing that needs to get done in the agency. You know, and this is something that Chris Paradiso has actually been pre for probably three or four years now, is that 
agencies need less producers and more marketers. And I firmly believe that, right? I've always said that the role of the producer should simply be to get people to sign documents. I don't think that uh, the traditional producer is really as effective as they were. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening at home going, Ryan, that's BS. You know, I go out and I get that signature and I'm a hunter and blah, blah, blah. And I think that that's all great. But really, um, you know, when I was doing my work at the Murray Group, I could bring in 85 new business opportunities without leaving my desk. And we would sign between 50 and 60% of those. So tell me that versus a single human being going out and shaking hands who is more effective in driving business into that organization? Now, you have to have the right marketing person just like you have to have the right producer. But I think that hiring more producers in, in exchange for hiring a marketer is a mistake and really a short-sighted calculation. And what most principals do is look at that and go, well, geez, that producer is going to be you know, paying me back in, in, in spades anything that I would have uh, put out in onboarding them or if there's a draw or something, you know, that marketer is all cost. I mean, I've literally heard principal say this to me. Marketers are all cost. How do they validate their job? And I'm like, well, if they're doing a good job, they're actually taking all of your producers and putting, you know, uh, uh, a 2X or a 3X in front of them, which is what they should be doing. So um, I want to move on to the next prediction, but this is something I'm very passionate about. We need more marketing people and less producers. Now, those marketing people need to be just as invested in the success of the agency. They need to have a uh, performance-based component to their compensation. I'm not saying you just pay somebody a flat salary, let them sit there and play on their phone all day. But uh, there's no way that a good producer can be both marketer and sales and be effective. Um, There should be a little overlap. But there should be someone who is predominantly marketing a little sales and someone who is predominantly sales and a little marketing. And if they work closely together, that's a really, really dynamic and powerful relationship. Uh, so I think they're right on the mark, the mark there. So Marty, I'm going to let you take this next one first because uh, <clears throat> this is actually one that you pulled out. Buyers will expect B2B suppliers to be at the, in the, to be at the right place, digital or physical, at the right time. I'm going to say it again because I messed it up. Buyers will expect B2B suppliers to be at the right place, digital or physical, at the right time. And um, I want you I want you to dive into this one because you pulled this one out and I'm interested to see where you go with it. Sure. So, you know, we talked about that, that sales life cycle uh, earlier. And what this is saying is you can't predict the precise path that your customer is going to take. Now, we know they're starting with research. They're going to be online. Um, we've got lots of stats out there that say that, you know, 80, 80 plus percent of uh, B2B buyers start on your website. So that's one of the resources they're going to be checking. So it's critical you have those components in place. Um, uh, I had the, the opportunity to sit with uh, Ellen Carney, uh, sit, sit in with, on Ellen Carney's session, uh, the Vertifor, um disruption panel, I think it was, might not have been a different one. She's uh, the researcher for Forrester who broke the news about Google Compare. That is correct. Thanks, Ryan. So, um, and and what she said is that the, the typical B2B consumer now, and this was, their research was specific to insurance, um, the, the, B2, the, the, the business insurance buyer is a factor of about 50% higher in terms of their desire for digital capabilities. So um, they they expect 
their insurance providers to have the digital tools that they use everywhere else in their business life. Marty, let me jump so, in here because yeah. I, I, just uh, uh, so you can put some frame on this. Uh, the traditional um, viewpoint on this, I would say for most uh, independent insurance agents is that if you work in B2B, social and digital is nonsense, right? Their, their clients don't want this. They want you to drive to their office and sit down with them and that's the only way they want to communicate and um, and they still use smoke signals to communicate messages to each other because that's much more personal than digital. Nobody in B2B goes online and researches products, right? That that would be the classic kind of maybe a little bit over-exaggerated viewpoint on B2B in our industry. Yeah, it's, you know, I'm sorry. I, I just, I, I understand why that's, that's the prevailing wisdom. Um, some of it is because that's been our experience. And so as humans, we're irrational in a lot of ways and we rely too much on our personal experience and sometimes ignore um, the bigger signals that are going on around us. Yeah, Insurion is the fastest growing commercial lines independent insurance agent in the entire country and they uh, do not do physical you know, they all, all their businesses transacted online. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, but I guess where I want to go, the right place, physical or digital at the right time. And so I'm probably going to run into a uh, well-worn uh, rut here. But, you know, one of the things that I think is a challenge that we just have to begin to face is how do we as independent insurance professionals deal with the compression of the business day. And maybe it's the compression is probably the absolute opposite word that I'm looking for. It's the expansion. Um, the old nine to five thing is pretty much out the door. And particularly if you're dealing with small businesses that are extraordinarily busy, they're working virtually 24 seven. And if they want to reach out in their preferred mode at their preferred time, that means that somehow your agency needs to be able to respond. You know, and I think that a, a misconception to what you just said, and, and I agree with you completely, it's, uh, I would say, the blurring of the nine to five, right? Yeah. You're really blurring those lines. I, I think really both from a workforce standpoint and from a client relationship and, and prospect relationship standpoint, it's not that... I think you're asking people to work more than eight hours in a day, right? I'm not, I, I certainly don't think that we necessarily need to work 16 hours a day. Um, I mean, maybe it depends on how successful you want to be, but um, it's more, maybe you work in the morning and then you go about things in your day that are more in personal nature for a couple hours. Then you come back to work and then you go home to your family and then you, log back in from seven to 10 and you communicate with people who want to be communicated with at night. And it's, it's more the, you're, you're, there's no more whistle blow, right? Like the whistle doesn't blow at eight 30 and everyone sits down and then the whistle blows again. And everyone sits up at four 30. I don't think there could be a, a, a worse way to build a positive culture in your agency or in your business in general than to mandate these type of things on employees in a world where there really isn't a business function that someone can't do from home, right? I mean, in most cases, all an agency, you know, for, for an agency to run properly, 
the only thing they really need is a receptionist, right? Someone's sitting there. So if someone comes in, they can hand them their paperwork or take their payment and then they leave, right? Everything a CSR uh, can do can be work done from home. Everything a producer can do can be done from their car. You know, it, you know, there's really the, no need to mandate these kind of things because it's, it's, and this is what I think that this prediction is actually saying is that we have to be proactive in understanding how our customers want to be communicated with and when. We cannot sit back and say, this is how you have to do business with us. We have to say, how do you want to have business done with, you know, how do you want to do business with us? We will be that thing for you. You want us to be in person? We can do that. You never want us to come into your office? We can do that. You only want to communicate at 1015 via Skype? Sure, we can do that too. And um, yeah, it's it's no longer either or. It's yeah. got to be both and. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. So, uh, so that's a good one. Um, and and the last one I want to talk about here before we move on to our next topic is, and, th- and this is just kind of building off of what we've already said. But uh, the last prediction from Forrester for for B two B is mobile will become the primary target for all systems, and. In what they're saying here, and my understanding of what they're saying, my belief, is that we have to think mobile first. Everything has to be mobile first. What is the mobile experience? And then build the mobile experience into a desktop experience. And understand that this is simple things like having click to call on your website, um, being able to receive text messages, uh, having um, processes or, or applications or functionality built into your mobile experience with your agency first and thinking about what that experience looks like because phones have gotten to the point where they don't people don't need to go to a desktop. My my wife used to surf the internet, you know, like her relaxing, you know, you get done with the day, she would come home and she would pop open her computer, you know, and just surf the internet a little bit and check news. And that was kind of how she relaxed after we put the kid to bed. I'll tell you, the last probably six months or so, she doesn't even do that anymore. She does everything right from her phone. She just, you know, checks whatever news she wants to check or goes on Facebook or whatever she does as she's kind of winding down for the day. She does it all on her cell phone. She doesn't even pull her laptop out anymore. Her laptop just sits, just sits in the cabinet. And, um, and we have to be prepared for that as an industry. All right. I think we've uh, gone through this. There, I, I will state, however, there's, there are additional points that we didn't talk about that uh, make this an interesting read. And as always... Uh, we will give you a link to this blog post in the show notes. Yeah, so uh, agencynation.com forward slash podcast, and then look for episode 15. This is episode 15, and you can find the link to this uh, blog post on Forrester. So, Marty, I'm going to let you take us into our next topic because this is actually something you came across, you emailed to me, and, um, and so everyone knows there's a graphic that goes along with this, so obviously you're listening to this and can't see. We're going to uh, do our best to, to describe it. But you can go and find uh, this graphic will be on in the show notes as well. So agencynation.com forward slash podcast episode 15. You'll find this graphic as well. Um, but Marty, I want you to take us into this because you found it, sent it to me, and, uh, and I think it's just brilliant stuff. Sure. Um, this is an interesting story in that uh, I came to this through a couple of unrelated events that sort of culminated. So when I saw um, this individual's name, Donald Miller, um, <clears throat> it it fired off in my brain and I went, I know who this guy is. I'm going to do a little bit of research. 
so Donald Miller has a new company out um, called Story Brand, and his whole concept is that uh, he's a professional writer, and so he has spent years studying story. And and uh, those of you who are frequent listeners and 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 may have uh, seen Ryan and I in in uh, various venues know that story is one of the things that we like to talk about as well. There's just Story is a very, very powerful way to sell your products and, and as Donald Miller uh, espouses, to brand your, your company and or agency. So um, how did this all come about? Well, Donald Miller uh, wrote a book. It's called Blue Like Jazz. And the, the book did fairly well. And one day, a producer, uh, a, a Hollywood producer called him up and said, hey, we'd like to make a movie of your book. And he immediately, and he immediately said, oh my gosh, this is really great. Um, and he immediately pictured Brad Pitt or somebody playing him as the, the hero of the book because Blue Like Jazz is sort of an autobiographical story, fictionalized a little bit. So, um, but, so the process that he went through in taking his initial book and turning it into a screenplay turned into a second book, which is actually the book that I read. And that's called a journey of a million miles in ten, in a thousand years. So Donald Miller is the author. Um, I would highly recommend the second book fast forward about two years after I read that first book and I'm at a convention and I have an opportunity to see a director's cut, sort of pre-release to general theaters of the movie that the second book is about, right? So the second book is about the process of writing the movie script and how that all works through Hollywood. So that all of that backstory gets us to the point where I saw Donald Miller's name. I went, oh, I know who that guy is. I want to I wanna check this out. So his whole concept is he took, he realized it. So, so he went from being an author to creating some um, conferences. And he was a little disappointed in the number of people who attended. And what he realized was he didn't have a very clear message. He couldn't really explain what his process was. So he holed himself up in a little cabin in the mountains and spent 12 days approaching the process of branding his new business, this uh, doing uh, summit conferences, and he wrapped the concept of story into that process. And so here is, and, and essentially what he says is, this is a seven-step process that must control and permeate all of your messaging. If, if your message doesn't fit into this specific, one of these specific components of this storyline, you need to lose it because far too often our message is confusing. People don't understand what we're trying to say because we understand what we do, but they don't. And they want clarity. They want simplicity. And most of all, our brains are wired to hear stories and internalize them. 
Okay, we've got I've got a nice blog post on this somewhere uh, on Agency Nation. So um, here's what he says is the seven step process to getting your brand into a story. Marty, before first, we before we get yeah. into it, because I want to break one of the, each one of these down yeah. uh, individually. So I just I just want to pop in real quick and say, um, so you you just said something I think is really interesting, uh, and I want to just kind of I want to pull this apart a little bit before we get into each piece, yeah. and that is. Um, you said that oftentimes the message, like we understand our message, but when we deliver that message to consumers or you know prospects, clients, um, they don't understand it. So what are some of the things that traditionally we as an industry may put out into the world as our value or our message that, that you think might be confusing or just because they're not delivered in, in this format, uh, could be getting lost on client. Sure. Well, the the very first one, and it's not just the insurance industry that makes these mistakes. So I mean, this is not me throwing stones only at ourselves. Um, I love me, and I want to tell you all about me because I am clearly important. But you know what? Your prospect doesn't really care. At some point, they they want to know that you're a professional and that you have the skill set to help them. But initially, they're, they aren't worried about you. They're worried about themselves. So the, the key piece to this is don't focus on yourself, whether that's you as a producer, salesperson, or you as a business trying to brand, you know, you should be with ABC because we are the biggest and the best and, you know, noise. Yeah. Drop it. You know what I, you know where I, what I think about when you say that is designations. I, I, designations are great from the standpoint of it makes you a better insurance professional. Your clients could give, they don't care at all that we have designations. They literally could not care less. They assume that we are good at our job. Clients assume that we're good at our job. Maybe some super sophisticated, you know, large organization um, you know, if you're working in the large business space, may care that you have some sort of designation, but never ever in the history of insurance, in the history of the world, in all of time, in the great big wide universe, has anyone ever chosen one insurance agent over the other because of the letters that follow their name? So don't oversell how good you are at what you do and thinking that clients care about that at all. Okay. I just had to put that in there. Soapbox, stepping down. Uh, a second big mistake that we make is we don't talk about ourselves appropriately. I just said we talk about ourselves too much. The other thing we try to um, demonstrate all too frequently is that we're better. And, you know, better is a value judgment. Better is something you may believe that you are, but I'm not sure I believe that you're better yet. Okay? So... A, a message that resonates more fully is I'm different because you can't argue with the fact that I'm saying I'm different now. You can certainly argue. I say I'm better. I'm better at, at this than whatever. Well, no, because I know this other guy and he's better. So, but different. Well, that's, that's a little bit harder to pin down. So a, a, a good messaging strategy is to talk about how you are 
different than your competition. Yeah. I think uh, so. So there's there's lots more of these, right? The idea of choice and the idea of being great at customer service and and all this stuff. So uh, so those are some really good ones. So I, I just wanted to tee that up before we got into these. Um, so let's let's get into the let's get into these steps here and talk a little bit about why this is so important. And and, and just for frame of reference, if you're at home and you're listening, you're like, you know, this is all great, guys. But geez, I don't have time to to do this kind of stuff. Understand that. This, this formula can be scrunched down all the way into how you introduce yourself and pulled out all you know pulled all the way out into into large pieces of content that you may create and distribute to valued prospects or VIPs or if you hold a small local conference or something like that like this this format can be scrunched all the way down or pulled all the way out and uh, and, and really can, it can be done just in how you talk to people how you, uh, your pitch and during a sale, how you answer the phone. You know, when you think about where all these things fit into these seven things, this is why this is so important is that this absolutely works and it's not incredibly difficult to understand or implement, but it is uh, incredibly important to implement. So, okay, so let's get into it, Mark. Sorry, I keep, uh, I keep interrupting you. That's all right, that's all right. It um, probably won't be the last time. <laughs> so there is... Never been anything truer said on this podcast than that statement. So uh, we start with who is the message about? And we sort of got into this earlier, okay? The message is not about us. And so as we create a story, if you think about, we go back to, you know, all the archetypal stories, you know, whether it's Jason and the Argonauts or Star Wars or Indiana Jones, right? The story essentially is... So often, you know, there's there's a theory out there, Ryan, I think you even brought this up the other day, that there's only been, you know, a half a dozen movies ever created, books ever written. Um, they just all take these same things and 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 replay them, right? So, um, yeah, I think there's, a, I think you might be right on it. There's, if you break it down, every story, book, movie ever written, told, produced falls into like six or seven frameworks. And that's all that there is. Uh, there's actually a really cool resource uh, called Story. If you go to, if you Google Story Grid, Stephen Pressfield just put this out. There's a four video series that outlines them all. And uh, actually, I didn't even send that to you, Marty, and uh, I will. But um, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. You know, um, the funny it, thing. Here's the funny thing. I am. Um, I've been running through that over the last three or four days. Although I've got. Sean Coyne. I don't know where the name you came from. Yeah, it's it's so, Sean Coyne and Stephen Pressfield. Uh, okay, yeah, I heard it's them, them together. Stephen does like the second video, and yeah, yeah. No, I haven't. I'm not looking at the videos. I'm on the blogs. But anyway, neither okay. here nor there. All right. So, um, so, so the the first, so, so the so the, the overarching concept is right. Um, our hero uh, has a problem. Those problems are both in externally caused, but they're also internal. Um, he finds a mentor who pre presents him, after proving his expertise, presents him with a plan that solves the problem, okay? Um, and, and ultimately, when, when the hero follows the plan, that results in the conclusion of the story. Sometimes the hero... Uh, implements the plan appropriately and we get to a good ending. Other times in the story, the hero imp doesn't implement the plan appropriately and that results in tragedy. So uh, that's, the, that's the story arc. 
Okay, so the way we take this now and we we apply it into our branding is the hero of the story isn't us as much as we want it to be. The hero of the story is our customer. And we have to be very specific when we call out that customer, right? This goes to what we've talked about a lot in the past. We're, we can't speak in generalities. We've got to talk to specific audiences and, and, and uh, the like. So, and then we have to define what the problem is. And again, I've said this a number of times in the past. If you can explain your client's problem better than they can, and you offer a solution. They believe that you have a solution because you know their problem so well. So character with a problem finds their guide, their mentor. And guess what? Now who's that? That's us because we are experts, okay? So in that, we need to um, be able to talk at a practical level, our expertise, but we also want to be able to talk at a um, – sort of a, a higher emotional level. And that's that's where we do, where we can talk about what we do so well, which is we're involved in the community. We're leaders, you know, all of those things, okay? And then we present our prospect with the plan, which is our insurance expertise, our risk management surveys, um, you know, the, the risk assessment techniques that we walk them through, and we give them an opportunity to take action, right? That's always a key, right? How many times have we talked about this, you know? On your website, you actually ask the customer to do something. And ultimately, if they follow our recommendations, we know that we're going to take them to success, right? So that success, again, remember, our, our character has problems that are both external to them, but they also have some internal issues, right? So, um Luke Skywalker has this issue with, you know, he's disappointed because he's stuck on the farm. He doesn't like it. But he also has this inner conflict, which is, is he really able to step up to the, the status of his hero father, right? So we work all that in, and then the success solves the immediate external problem, but it also helps at the internal psychological problems, which then ultimately end up in the resolution. So, so let's, I'm going to give everyone an example of uh, one piece of content they could create that, go, that follows this arc. And um, anyone who has listened to this show for any period of time or followed anything I've ever done knows that I, my mantra is answer client questions. Answer questions. So when you think about this, Think about one particular type of uh, think about one particular type of client that you want to write. Let's say it's a restaurant owner, right? So your character in this story is the restaurant owner. That's the person you're speaking to and, and creating this story for. What's the problem? The restaurant owner doesn't understand whether or not they need liquor liabilities. You are their Yoda, right? The Luke, they're Luke Skywalker, and you're you're the Yoda. So what you're going to do is, is explain to them. Here are the reasons. Here are the, 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 the issues, the problems, the risks that, that are surrounding this choice as to whether or not you need liquor liability and how much. The plan is here is how you go about making sure that what I just described to you and the fear that you have is, is solvable and how you solve it. 
And the only reason that you, and, and how you solve it and you give them the call to action is by contacting your agent that you currently have or if you're not happy with that agent or don't trust that agent, you can call me. And that's gonna result in you being protected as a restaurant owner for any liquor-related issues that may happen in your establishment. So by so what this looks like is a simple video with you in front of the camera explaining, I understand, restaurant owner, that you have questions about whether or not liquor liability is worth purchasing and what your risks are. Here is what liquor liability is, the risks that you face, and at the end of that video, you provide them with a very simple call to action that says, if what you've heard does scare you and you would like to solve this problem, uh, reach out to us and we would be more than happy to help walk you through the process of making sure that you have the right liquor liability policy. Boom. Right? So the character is not, you're not just blasting them with why liquor, you know, what liquor liability is. You're taking them through a process of explaining what their, you know, here's what your fear is that someone's going to get drunk at your establishment, leave. And, and ultimately, you're going to be sued and your general liability policy is going to deny that claim because it's liquor-related. And, and, and here's how you go about solving it. Here's what the various coverages mean and how they impact your business. And this can all be done in just a matter of minutes in front of a video camera. But just you know, taking this story and condensing it down into just one very little piece of content, and then you do this over and over and over again and in, in varying degrees. And ultimately, what happens is every time someone comes in, they see themselves in the content, they understand what their problem is, how you solve their problem, what the process is, and how they actually solve that problem through a call to action. And um, you know, it, it, explain this way, it may sound more difficult, it may sound easier, you know, depending on your understanding of branding and telling stories, but ultimately, this is a process, a very simple and straightforward process that we need to consider every single time we create a piece of content. Because if you don't follow this, if you don't follow this arc when you're creating a piece of content, it's going to fail, or I shouldn't say fail. It's going to be less effective than it should be, you know, and, and, and understanding the limited amount of time that insurance professionals have, um, we don't want to waste time on content that's not going to hit its max eff effectiveness um, for whatever its purpose yeah. is. So, And, and the, most the most important concept is if the content that you're creating is off topic, it muddies the water. Yeah. And and what we want is we want that picture of our plan to be as simple and as logical and as straightforward. And like, why wouldn't I do that? It's obvious that the plan that you presented to me, Ryan, about why I need liquor liability is perfectly straightforward. And clearly, you must be an expert at this. Yeah. So We've talked about a lot of things today. Uh, both were very marketing related. And I, I, we talked in context of B2B. The reason we talk in context of B2B is that, you know, Marty and I spend a lot of time in front of agents, um, both on the phone, in webinars, and in person at conferences. And I think over and over again, uh, and this is changing, right? I, I don't want to, again, you, you said it before, we're not, I'm not throwing stones at ourselves, right? But in general, we have this misconception that somehow, you know, our business clients are not interested in this kind of stuff. And we have to remember our business clients are people, right? That's how you sold them in the first place was you made a relationship with a person and that person trusted you and listened to you and ultimately became your client. So um, this is incredibly important from the B2B standpoint. All of this works the same in personal lines, but uh, I hope you enjoyed this, this episode here. A uh, couple calls to action for you. If you appreciate 
this podcast and enjoy it, love for you to jump over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review or just simply share the podcast with your friends or your network or your community or uh, whoever you bump into that you think might find this interesting. And if you want any of the resources that we talked about during this episode, head over to agencynation.com forward slash podcast. And this is episode number 15. Remember, subscribe on your favorite station, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play soon, um, or you can just keep coming back to the uh, to the website and get new episodes as they're released. And the best way to do that is to subscribe to our newsletter, agencynation.com forward slash newsletter. Uh, with that, for Marty, we're going to get out of here. <laughs>